Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they applied. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life. I got one of my favorite people is on the show today, Glenn Twiddle. He is, uh, I would say, the number one real estate coach in Australia uh, and an incredible, an incredible event promoter who's brought in everybody from Richard Branson to Arnold Schwarzenegger to Gary Vee to Eric Thomas, the hip hop preacher. That's the, an abbreviation. To Matt Johnson. Or not. To me, to me. I was like, that's why I was in Australia. Uh, you'll notice his lovely Australian accent. And we're both big fans of Dan Kennedy. So we're going to start with Dan Kennedyism, which is every piece of marketing shall have a call to action. And here's mine. If you want to run a podcast like this, that's what our agency does. Glenn and I are both in the agency game. My agency produces podcasts. So if you want to, want to run a weekly podcast like this, where all you do is show up, hop on Zoom, focus on the message, or have an amazing conversation with a guest, and you want to worry about nothing else that happens, and you want everything to be done for you, that's what our agency does, uh, even including the guest booking. So there'll be a link around this podcast where you can learn more about our agency because that's what we do. Uh, and it's what I have the most fun doing. I just want to show up and have fun conversations with cool, smart people. So um, I mentioned that you're in coaching, event promotion, stuff like that, but you're now in the agency game. So when you meet somebody, your ideal client is in real estate in Australia. Glenn, when you meet somebody like that now, how do you explain to them what you do? Because that's changed over the years. I just, when people ask me what I do now, I say, I forgot. I don't even really know anymore. <laughs> and, but I'll tell you, that, that, that does lead to our conversation today, that what a curiosity invoking question. I say, what are you doing? You go, I don't really know. You know, because when you think about it, am I uh, am I an online podcaster? Am I an author, coach, consultant, seminar promoter? Well, kind of, but I haven't done one for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Am I a speaker? Uh, am I, and you mentioned before, instead of teaching, because everything I've just described sort of is, I used to be an educator to teach people yeah. how to market well, to get more appraisals, get more listing, get more business into their world. Instead of that, because primarily because of COVID and all of that craziness, I sort of started just saying, oh, don't worry about it coming to my event. I'll just do it for you. Just borrow my PA, borrow my management team, borrow the people that do it for me. And, and then we built, I suppose, what, what I would now call an agency, but I certainly had no uh, desire to be own an advertising agency. I didn't even really know what that was, but it's just the stuff we used to teach. We just now, I've taught staff to do it and they, I just sell those staff out to clients to do it for them. So yeah, but it is an interesting way when someone says, hey, what do you do for a living? You go, I don't really know. Let me see. <laughs> and, and, I mean, just they, they are all ears. <laughs> it's not a bad way to start. Like, ah, I don't know if I've, I've forgotten more about what I do than, than, <laughs> than I can explain in 30 seconds. That And that is true when it comes to you. I know that about you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have this amazing background with putting on the uh, incredible events and bringing in some really, really cool people. Uh, I know that we're going to talk about one of Seth Godin's book. You're also a big fan of Gary Vee. You could have covered any of those books. We're going to talk yeah. about Seth Godin, who's one of our mutual favorites. Uh, okay. So first of all, let's set the scene a little bit. Do you remember like when you came across this book to begin with, like what time period and what you were doing at the time? 
Wow. It was one of the early ones. So I don't remember any of the specifics. You know, I do remember Crush It. Um, you know, and we're not talking about Gary today, but I do remember Matt Steinway, who was speaking at the same event you came out to join us at. He said, You've got to read this book. And, I, and he started telling me about this wine guy. And I'm like, Whoa. Oh, um, you know about so, it early. Wow. Yeah, very, very, very. And um, so I got Crush It. I thought, Wow, that's not a wine guy. That's good stuff. So, but with Seth, I can't remember. All I remember is this was the first introduction. This was the gateway drug to a whole Seth department up there, wherever it is now. The uh, All Marketers Are Liars is another amazing uh, uh, book. But it all did start with that purple cow, and it probably was because it was such a unique metaphor, the purple cow metaphor, that it just reached me up, grabbed me. It's a thin book, even though the font's pretty small. It's it's not a, a long read. It is on Audible, I think, less than four hours, maybe even less than three. Like it's a quick read and the principles are rock solid, even though it is a uh, an OG. I don't even know what that means. I think it means old school gangster or something, but it is yeah. one of the older books. So a lot of the examples are maybe kind of dated, but yeah. the principles themselves are so rock solid that it's, it's stood the test of time. So, yeah, Seth's one of the all-timers. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got a Seth Godin section of my own, but I do have to say, if anybody's listening and they can't see this on video, I have Bookshelf Envy because if you know Glenn, he has four or five full six foot tall bookshelves <laughs> behind him crammed. I, I only have half bookshelves behind me, so I have I have Bookshelf Envy. Um, so it's interesting. You're one of the few people I know that's both a big fan of Seth Godin and Gary Vee because they're both, like Gary Vee is super polarizing, right? Typically, if you follow Gary, you don't resonate as much with Seth because you, you're very tactical focused rather than principles focused. You're one of the few mm. people I know that's actually very well grounded in both. Um, yeah. Have anything to say about just well, the, the attraction of both? My, well, my favorite book of Gary's is The Thank You Economy, which is his almost like a tribute to Seth. It's all oh, the principles okay. that he lives on. It's amazing, uh, amazing sense. book. So maybe some pod, I mean, you should play with The Thank You Economy. But yeah. But even Seth, I mean, Seth turned up on the Ask Gary V show and they had that, uh, they had such mutual respect for the way each other thinks. And yeah, I would just say, I can see what you mean about them being either or, but uh, I tell you what, there is nothing like having great principles from a great uh, marketer like a Jay Abraham, say, mm. and yet having great tactical execution and ability to put rubber on the road and do it like a Dan Kennedy and Dan Kennedy's world. So yeah. if you can study both, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when Dan and Jay did a little Q&A for one of Dan's inner circle-y things, it truly was a, a mutual love fest because they both know each other's work and respect <laughs> it greatly, um, And but it was a masterclass. So, yeah, put that love into that. your Googles because it does go back so far. Put in Dan Kennedy, Jay Abraham podcast or something. And you will hear definitely the two of the all timers. And I would put Seth and Gary into that, into that, uh, into that camp. And I tell you, um, Seth is an amazing uh, principal deliverer. And here's the, here's the thing in in this book here. Let me let me give you a little a little story that I remembered from this. I I meant to cram it in. It's been so long since I I read this and built a business based on the principles of Purple Cow. My intent was to reread it a couple of times and really come into this you know, crammed and full of knowledge, and I didn't, right? But I do remember one of the things that Seth thought he got, well, you would think some could be forgiven for thinking Seth got something wrong when he said, as an example of something that isn't a purple cow, and he used classical music as an example. He said all the classical music has been recorded. It's all done and it's done brilliantly. You're not going to do a, a better classical music. So the classical music industry is over. 
when it comes to being a purple cow. And then bugger me, there's a band, I think it's in Britain, called, I think they're called Bond, and they're hot chicks in mini skirts. They are gorgeous. They are talented as hell out there performing, selling albums, classical music. Now, this was after this book was written, so Seth didn't have them as an example, but it is an example of taking even, so what I'm saying is uh, Seth's tactical was classical music's dead, so don't bother, but the principle of Purple Cow proved his tactic even wrong because Bond came along and took the cow that is as brown as and boring, and we probably should talk about what the Purple Cow metaphor is, but a boring product, let's just say, of classical music, and they just painted that sucker purple as hell. They did. And the principal proved Seth's well, principal it, right, but his tactic wrong. Yes. And, and it, ta- and it take, took the rise of a new technological platform like YouTube for, for that for that to happen, mm. right? So all the stuff you see happening in the classical music world, like two cellos and all the people that are on oh. YouTube doing interesting things with classical music, they're all yeah. super good looking. It's all incredibly beautiful surroundings, incredible photography. Like, like you, like if that, if you couldn't see it on YouTube, that stuff wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't matter. Yeah. Like it's so, so Seth was right from the audio perspective, but then all of a sudden this new technology comes along YouTube and all of a sudden, bam, you can add a new dimension to something older. And like you said, they used it to create a purple cow. All right, give us yeah. the metaphor. What's the purple? Yeah. Cow? Well, let's, yeah, well, we got to say, what the hell are these idiots talking about? But you know, um, purple bovines or something but um so the the metaphor in the early in the book and i urge you to get it get it on audible and have a listen but the quick version is and it's probably a metaphorical story i don't know if it happened but he was driving through the countryside of europe or whatever and when his kids first saw some cows it was like oh my god look there's cows right but after a couple of miles of cows brown ones as far as the eye can see well, they're cows. Oh, yeah, okay. It got old real, real quick. And he was thinking to himself, as the legend goes, um, I'll be interested to know if that was real because when I found out that the rich dad, poor dad legend was a nice, handy teaching metaphor that wasn't Robert Kiyosaki, supposedly, I was crushed. So I wonder if the purple cow one was true about you know, Seth and his family majestically driving through. Don't, don't even get me started on Napoleon Hill. I was oh, you, you, can go down, you can go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. The rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, so whenever you're going to do either successive never, never fails of Clement Stone, if ever you're going to mm-hmm. get to that one or any of Hill's work, that would be wonderful for us to okay. do that. But yeah, so we're, we're, the, the, the family's driving through and Seth was thinking to himself, that in order to re-get those kids' attention by these cows, one of them would have to be a big, giant, bright purple cow for them to go, wow, that's interesting. You know, so it's about how to stand out. I've said for years, uh, you know, if I'm coaching real estate agents, they are the brownest of brown cows ever. How do I get one of them in any given marketplace to stand out in a sea of sameness? That was yeah. the saying I've been saying. But this marketplace, the marketplace are ignoring everything you say because you are the same as 100 service providers of an identical service that are begging each and every person in that marketplace to use them for that service that they only use once every 10 years or yeah. five years or whatever the case may be. So they are the brown brownest and boringest of cows. They're like the fleas on the cow's back. That's how boring they are. So Mm -hmm. how do we stand out to be the one that is standing out above all others? So that's what the metaphor is, is if you imagine a sea of brown cows and you say, oh, look at that purple fluorescent thing. That's (laughs) an interesting cow, isn't it? So how do we make us 
when we're in a seemingly monotonous marketplace with attention being pulled every direction whatsoever? How do we get them to be interested in the thing that we wake up thinking about? We work all day perfecting. We stay awake at night thinking about, and yet the consumers that we're thinking about trying to make their lives better don't even know we're alive. And how do we solve that dilemma? Yeah, I love it. It's such a fantastic book. And it's uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing that contributed to what became the seminar business, right? Because you realize that in order to make these people that are the brownest brown cows stand out, hey, like, hey, let's put them next to someone that does stand out. Let's get let's get their picture taken next to Gary Vee or Richard Branson or somebody like that. So I'm guessing that seeped into your brain and led indirectly to the seminar business, right? Well, the principles seeped into everything. And really, the principles that Seth taught in this, they juxtaposed so well with the tactical executions that initially I was learning from Dan Kennedy, Bill Glazer, Frank Kern, those sorts Mm -hmm. of folks. And um, because they were saying the same thing using different language. So when Seth put his principles behind it, I love that it just, it sparks food for thought and innovation in your own mind. So everything was about how do I get the client to stand out in their marketplace? But How do I get my business to stand out in a relatively difficult, because I've often said, you know, any coach in my niche of of real estate agents, if real estate agents are my target clientele, uh, and there's so many of them, I've jokingly said, there's probably a ratio of one-to-one coaches and people asking, hey, I'll help you, Mr. Real Estate Agent. You could probably all have a coach and no one would, there'd be no double up. You know, the ratio is one to one, one almost, you know. Yeah. So it's like, I've got the same problem they do. They get yeah. 150 emails a day begging them, hey, I can help you do better in your real estate world. How do I get my education business, me as a coach, me as a mentor, me as a marketing advisor, speaker, consultant, seminar company, whatever it is that I'm uh, doing to help them, how do I get that to be the one that they attend versus the 50 others that day that they could have said yes to? Boy, oh boy, I had to not only teach them how to paint their business purple in order to get the attention of their marketplace, I had to do the same thing to them, which right. became great teaching collateral because when I'm sitting there talking to them about how I got them to the seminar, how long it took me to wear them down uh, using outrageous and attention-getting marketing to get them to the seminar, all of those things made for great teaching collateral because I'm not saying to them, trust me, that's what people are like. I'm saying, hey, remember that's what you're like? <laughs> well, so are they. And so, uh, yeah. It does eliminate definitely. objections when you can just say, well, I got you here. Like I must know, I must know what I'm doing because I got you off the couch, you fat load. (laughs) Let's take a quick break from the conversation. Are you interested in running a podcast like this? Then check out our done for you service and grab a 15 minute podcast brainstorm call. We'll talk through your podcast idea and the business behind it. So you'll know exactly how a podcast can attract ideal clients and bring you five to 10 X return. Schedule your call today at pursuingresults.com. And now let's jump back into the conversation. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so certainly everything, no matter what it's been, whether it is putting a celebrity, because the I mean the other principle is, and you and I are both very familiar with this principle, and I only realized it after the fact, because sort of I was very coachable. So I've had a lot of the best mentors, including everyone that we've mentioned so far, yeah. I've either directly or bought their products, been mentored by, you know, whether it's, you know, I've been in the room for two days in a little group with with Frank Kern and Roland Frazier, and next to me was um, Billy Jean is marketing. Like some of the best marketers in the world mm. are sitting around, just 10 of us 
Mm. and Frank Kern and Roland mentoring us. So whether it's directly or through their materials, I've been very, very coachable. So I only recognized this metaphor after the fact, but you know, with the seminar business, the way I made myself a purple cow, let's say, it goes back to our music experience, Matt. You know, you and I both dabble. You're a very talented musician. I'm a bit of a hack who likes to do it. I learned just enough to be allowed to perform for people and no more. Right? So, and no more. Absolutely no more. No more. Um, but, uh, but in that world, if I, as a rock star, want to be a famous rock star and I'm not yet Bon Jovi, well, if I want Bon Jovi's crowd, Instead of, well, a faster way to get in front of the 10,000 people for Bon Jovi. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, you have to still be good, but it's like what I did was I hired Bon Jovi. I paid their million-dollar fee for the concert. Ticket sales paid for Bon Jovi's appearance fee. Now, for free, I get to be the support band for Bon Jovi because I'm also the promoter. So if I want 1,500 people to come and see Glenn Twiddle, they're not going to come. But if 1,500 people come to see and be mentored by Richard Branson, but in order to do that, they've got to sit through two hours of me as the support show, and if I've got anything to say that's valid, then happy days, then that's what I did. So it's like I hired the Richard Branson to be the headline Bon Jovi, let's just say, and you want to get to Richard, you got to sit through me. So that was my way of kind of bringing in a purple cow yeah. because – you can only be so purple. And it, look, it was a way to fast track also the size of the crowd. I didn't have to wait mm-hmm. for a groundswell of organic love for me as a, as a personality, for my business as, as its content and all of that. Yeah. It didn't take me that long to get giant crowds because I paid the money and it's a big check, as you know, because I've shared the numbers with, with Matt and it's not fun. But if it breaks even and you end up with that on your resume, and you get that many people, you know, to your world, both people, even people who didn't come to the event, the entire country worth of my industry saw the promotion for that event. So me alongside Gary Vaynerchuk, Richard Branson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, George St. Pierre, you know, the big mm. long list of, of the folks that we've, we've done this for. And even if they weren't there, I still got a little rub of purple on me and credibility wise, yeah. uh, because of that investment that cost me nothing because it was a break even proposition. Sometimes mm-hmm. a tiny bit of profit, sometimes a tiny bit of loss, but always thereabouts the break even. And people would say, why would you do all of that for no profit? And <laughs> they just don't understand the principles of, you know, buying a database, buying speed, be willing to break even on the first transaction to profit on subsequent transactions for life. You know, mm-hmm. all of those principles adding up to, uh, you know, a wonderful life and career and lifestyle that I've got. But it all starts with none of that good stuff happens if you can't get their attention in the first place. And that's what that book gives you example after example of. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Because you mentioned it's like some of the examples are are maybe dated, but they're still super valuable. And they might be examples from a lot of the internet, you know, stocks and things like that, or other companies that were that were big in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. Yeah. Well, he's talking guessing. about those Yahoo, you know, yeah. he's talking about Yahoo a lot as the the big dog in the, in the game. He's talking about, um, you know, like there was no, he couldn't talk about Spotify because it was written before Spotify was around. So when he's talking about the music industry, he couldn't use some of the more modern examples. Right. I think this was even written pre-Facebook. Um, yeah. What year was this written? Would you, yeah, I was what thinking your about guess? What's your guess? What is my guess? Year? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, 2004, 2003. Not bad, brother. 202. Yeah, no way. Okay, I was close. All right. Not bad, man. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I just so... think like, um, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so odd whenever people go, oh, I don't think I'll be able to get something out of that. The examples are old. 
And I can reach over my shoulder and pull out Al Reese's book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, and pull out example after example of you know the old the computer companies from the early 80s that none of us even remember or the coke and pepsi Amstrad. battles of the 80s yeah the airlines the oh the the bmw like bmw and fedex like they're, they're all amazing they're all older examples but they still stand the test of time like they, they illustrate the principles just as well 100 percent. yeah, yeah 100%. I love it. no it's, there it's anything killer. um anything else that still sticks out about the book because I know you didn't get a chance to like go back and read it and get all of your thoughts together. Yeah. Is anything still uh, leave an impression with you? Yeah, well, certainly he talks a lot about niching. And one thing that I kind of, well, and that's what you've got to do is you've got to pull out the principles and then sift through the principles and see which ones work because our businesses, all of them are so varied and different. So, but one of the things he pulled out is he was saying, don't bother with a product that everyone needs and put all of your budget into innovating a purple cow product, research development, making your product amazing, and then only really marketing to, I think he called them sneezes. I think, okay, since this COVID word, that probably hasn't got as good a connotation as it once did. What he's talking about is hitting people in the early stage of that S-curve of adoption so that they spread the word through your your um your mass adoption kind of thing those early yeah. kind of ones and so whilst that is good advice for some products well what if you're sitting there with a product and and he's saying yeah don't do products that everyone needs because you're going to screw it up and then this poor bugger who's invested his life into a product that everyone needs you know or whatever okay well how do we how do we paint my boring product purple right. rather than make a product from scratch that is a purple cow through innovation and marketing and research yeah so i totally get it is- it's you got to be you you got to be godaddy that's a great example so if you have a commodity product uh, and you're really good at this. I mean, you you could run a company like GoDaddy. You could you could create marketing that would make a commoditized business fun, mm. but you have to be like that's the only way to do it. And that's a that's a hard way to keep a sustainable competitive advantage over a long term when your competitive mm. advantage is being a more outrageous marketer, because there's good very point. few Bill Glazers in the world. There's very few Dan Kennedys in the world. Uh, there's a lot more Steve Wozniaks mm. that can create something that's technologically different and iteratively wow. better than the last one. I mean, that's my personal opinion. But to Isn't me, that, there's I think there's wow. just a lot fewer great marketers like that than there are people who can build a slightly better widget. And yet you tell me, and look, maybe because I'm one of the ones who idolizes the, you know, the Kennedys, the Bill Glazers, those that mm-hmm. can, and I look, as you said, I've now been doing this for 10 years and I agree with what you said. It is harder to one-up yourself continuously, but you got to, you've got to find a way. Mm-hmm. And also being aware that your marketplace is transient in many industries as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly in our industry, they come in, they go out. So what was boring and old to someone who's been hanging around with me for 10 years, if they're new into the industry, I'm just, oh my God, where has this guy been all my life? Well, you've been in another industry, so you haven't seen me kind of like, but, but I true. certainly take on that point. But when you said that it's easier, or there's more Wozniaks out there who can make amazing life-changing stuff than marketers who, because that is a very, one thing I would say, even if your statement is true, and because I'm one of the latter, I question it because you never think that what you do is valuable. You know, yeah. you know we always underview our own skill sets. Um, but I've got to say, I do think the skills and the abilities that I developed through mentors, 
like uh, like the Kennedy. And geez, Dan owes us a royalty on this. Dan Kennedy. <laughs> Seth Godin does it. We mentioned his book more than Seth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk and Dan Kennedy owe us. <laughs> but Seth, man, just a big thumbs up to Seth. Seth, Seth, is, um, Seth is the god, though, yeah. Yes. But, what, but what, all, all I would say is, is that, um, uh, uh, where was I, where were we getting? Oh, yeah, yeah, I would just say, our own skill it's set. a learnable skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing that you're saying is more rare than Steve mm. Wozniak, than the ability to make an iPhone. It's definitely a learnable skill because none of the stuff that I learn, execute, do, or teach wasn't either directly taken from Bill Glazer because Bill Glazer at a seminar that I wasn't at but I got a recording at, he literally gives you permission to swipe it word for word. He said, change as few words of this thing that I'm giving you now that it works for your business because the more you change from this thing that works, the more variables you're throwing in there that means it might not work. Now, even though that's you know, depending on the industry, you've got to take that advice with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I've executed and done and made millions of dollars on now and spent millions of dollars on, don't get me wrong, I'm not mm-hmm. sitting here in the lap of luxury, you know, but I've made well, probably tens of millions. We do a couple million a year. Um, none of it came out of my head. All of it was either directly or indirectly inspired by people that everyone can pay $20 for and get a physical book or Oh, God damn. When Audible came along, boy, oh, boy, all these books you're praising me about having, man, a lot of them I'll just buy, stick on the shelf, and then get on Audible and have the author, author read it to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, man. So I do think that the thing that you're holding up as a, a real skill to attain, and I agree, you should have it up there on a pedestal, um, every one of your listeners can do it can learn yeah. that skill and be that that entity that can do the, the impossible you know that yeah, can really market things to i'd have to think about that more to see if i see if i actually agree because i never really articulated whether what i think is the more rare and valuable skill set if i was an investor investing in a company i want to invest in a company that has the combination of steve jobs and steve wozniak the marketing genius and the tech genius that's what i want good point the, the, good we, point. the weaker i don't know which if you don't have both of those and you had to pick one uh, like I, I, you know, like I, I would yeah. prefer the one that's the better marketer because in the end, I think they tend to they can they can tend to win. Mm. But yeah, I don't think well, about I that agree with you. I, I, do, I am I am glad I and again, you and I resonated from the moment you, me, and Greg McDaniel hooked up because mm. Greg was the you uh, was the I've got a Greg. You know, I've got a student who is my rubber on the road execution guy doing it. And I'm sort of the behind the scenes guy teaching him principles of how to do it well. And so you and I resonated really tightly because you're the me of that relationship. You're the marketing guy. You're the guy that we've, we, you know, we're doing a 15 minute podcast. We did a half hour off air before the podcast. (laughs) And this podcast is going probably could be three of your podcasts because we resonate in the same world. So probably you undervalue it for the same reason I do. Yeah, maybe. That's and, and uh, you know, if you're, th- there'd be a part of you that would say, yeah, that's why I would want the marketing guy. And I, but I'm definitely glad that you and I went down the marketing route because as products change, we can paint our copywriting skills, our attention getting skills, our mastery of getting our messages heard, read, and, uh, and, and consumed by an audience in whatever media it is. That skill can be transferred from product to product, even industry to industry. Right now, I am using my marketing skills as we speak to get a federal senator elected uh, here in Australia. 
because you, you and I have a mutual, um, you know, kind of uh, sort of synergy around the political world and the world's in political upheaval. So a, uh, a senator who used to be a real estate agent reached out to me and now we are absolutely going to get her elected to the federal Senate I don't know what your version of the federal center would be, but it's a big deal. Yeah, and um, and we're doing using all the marketing tactics I've used. And I looked at the collateral that we did today, and it's world class. It's the best political advertising attention getting I have ever seen. That my mm-hmm. team, that you know, I sort of I just spewed some instructions down my WhatsApp to my team, and they spew back output after you know hours and hours of work. And I'm like, damn, this is good. And it's <laughs> about you know the ability if you can get someone elected through your marketing skills. Mm-hmm. then that's a skill you want to develop because you can definitely yeah. sell a widget if you can market and get it. If you can get attention, that's have true. a message that gets attention and grabs them, a purple cow, if you will, uh, and then have some sort of converting mechanism to get them into your world. That's the magic. You know, get on the shopping list and then be good enough to convert the business. If you can get those two parts of your world uh, nailed, then you got market share in your industry and you go kill them. That's true. Couldn't have said it better. All right, let's finish up with this. What's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Uh, yeah, well, as a marketer, put in Glenn Twiddle into any of the places. Some of them I populate more than others. So, yeah, but if you do put in Glenn Twiddle, there's a bunch of different ways that you'll, you'll find me on all the Instagrams, the Facebooks. I'm a bit of an old school. You will find me on the TikToks and on the on the Snapchats and all of those things, but I don't populate them as much as I hang on the Facebooks and Instagrams and things. So you'll you'll definitely find me and, and hang out. But, man, I just want to pay you massive props for, for this podcast because I may not be the most avid reader in the world. In fact, like I was saying, that the amount of books that I've bought that I then get audible, Mm. it's because it pains me to read books. But I also know if there was one piece of advice anyone's ever asked me for success, the key, oh, what's the secret to your success? It is when Michael Spillane handed me, and there's a copy of it up there somewhere, a copy of a book, The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. And I rolled my eyes out of thinking, ugh. That's what Amway people read. Like I literally scoffed. But because it was part of the culture that we all read the same book that month, I read it begrudgingly. You know, just ugh. And then the next book was Personality Plus. So he was ex-Amway. So he just brought the Amway book list into our uh, real estate business and forced us all to read these bloody books. And I knew they were bloody Amway books because I've been prospecting for Amway so many times. That's right. That's right. Okay. And so... Um, but I tell you, the one secret that has led to everything has been these stupid paper and ink things. And thank God Audible's come along because now I can have the author read them to me. But well, here's, here's the damning admission. Okay. If you look down the bottom of my bookshelves down there, yeah. you'll see all the courses. Yeah. And when and I know that I have bought, because sometimes it was very, very literal, I would buy the $3,000, the $2,000 CD set or tape set up there somewhere. I got a tape set. Mm-hmm. of um, what's that? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, that is not a fun read, right? <laughs> Covey's Seven Habits. But time. the tape set uh-huh. was just consumable. It oh, was okay. actually consumable. So, but, but even if the author is reading out word for word the book, I would pay like for the $2,000 tape set, CD set, audio program or whatever yeah. just to avoid reading the $20 or $30 book. So massive props to you, man, for doing that's, this pod, man. That's this where we're different. I, I will take the physical over the audio anytime. Dude, this has yeah. been awesome. I know your time is limited. It's actually one o'clock in the morning there. So I, I so, so appreciate you doing this with me. Ditto, man. You're the best, Matt. Right, Let's do another it. one. We will. We shall. <laughs> Talk to you soon. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now, to get the micro-famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the microfamous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today so you get that. And stay tuned for the next episode of One Book That Changed My Life. We'll see you there.